This morning for our uh, for our scripture reading, we're going to sing a song over you, and it was written, actually the, the music, I should say, was written by our own Chad Cates and Luke Brown and by Jason Germain. Um, it's from a project called The Father's Lullaby that I just love so much because they put scripture to music, which um, helps us hide it in our hearts, and so we're going to sing this over you this morning. That just about undoes me every time I hear it. I walked in this morning as they rehearsed and I stood there and said, sing that over me again. Sing that over me again. Well, let's take our Bibles and open them to the Gospel of Matthew. We continue our study through what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, it is no exaggeration to say that what we have is in, this, in these chapters is the entire message of the Bible concentrated through the words of Jesus. It's, as we've noted, a kingdom manifesto. Well, what do you mean a kingdom manifesto? I mean this, if you've placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount is... Our manifesto, it, is, uh, it shows us how kingdom citizens behave. <laughs> That's what it is. Two weeks ago, we picked up a section as we're continuing through it, and it, it began in chapter 6, verse 1. It goes all the way to chapter 6, verse 18. In, in, in this section, the previous section, Jesus was addressing a misunderstanding of the law. You've heard it said, but I say. Now in 6, 1 through 18, he's addressing a misapplication of spiritual 
disciplines or spiritual devotion or, or religious activity. He, he's got three that he addresses, giving, praying, and fasting. These aren't random. Why does he pick these three? Because the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, had taken those three and made them the end all, the be all of righteousness with God. For them, it was the behavior, the tip of the iceberg. Jesus says, oh, look, if you, you can do that, tip of the iceberg, but if, the, if what's below the waterline isn't right, uh, we have a problem. You have a problem. He doesn't eliminate these three things. In fact, you all, Jesus expects those who follow him to give, pray, and fast. He, he, when you do these things, but he shows us that what matters is what's in our hearts below the waterline as we do them. Motive really does matter. Now, two weeks ago, I, I started this little section off looking at giving. Last week, if you missed it, I hope you'll pick up Rob's message as he took us, really it's the introduction to our section. The whole thing is on prayer, but there uh, Jesus says that, that our praying is to be in Secret. Is all praying in secret? Well, no. But as he contrasts with what the Pharisees do who pray so they can be seen and receive the applause of men, he says, no, you follow me. You pray quietly in secret. Robin encouraged us this last week to find a place alone that we might pray to the audience of one. Now this morning, Jesus moves from the how, if I may say it like that, to the what, the content of prayer. It is, you guys already know this, it's what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Y'all, before we go into it, I'm going to tell you this. I got nothing new to tell you that you probably don't already know. Look, this prayer has been dissected, studied, you know, analyzed for millennia. Um, I don't have any new information to give you per se, but I have, I have prayed this, and this has been on my heart this week in preparing Perhaps in light of the events, the events that are unfolding around us in the past week, y'all, this week, in the weeks to come, perhaps in this cultural context, we would pray this prayer like we've never prayed it before with a deep sense of desperation and urgency, paying attention to praying it as Jesus invites us to pray it. Here's what I wanna promise you. Pray this prayer and your heart will be changed. Your motives will be reshaped. Pray this prayer and you will not be undone when those around you are falling apart. Pray this prayer and you will be preserving salt and light on a hill for those around you who are struggling in darkness. Pray this prayer and you will see life's events, world events as they unfold this week, last week, whenever. You will see them not like, oh, the, the world's falling apart. This is just random chaotic. I mean, political powers are getting this and that. No, no, no. You pray this prayer and you will see life's historic events unfolding as God's purposes and plans being fulfilled for they cannot be thwarted. 
You pray this prayer and hope will rise, fear will wane, and joy will rest in your hearts. I believe that. Now, Jesus uh, begins by framing the problem, then he prays the prayer. So, so there's our outline for today. Those of you thinking kind of outline form, this is the broadest outline is framing the problem, that's verses seven and eight, and then praying the prayer, that's verses nine through 13. Well, the, the prayer was sung over us. Let us go to the text itself. We'll start with framing the problem, verse seven. Follow along in your Bibles. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. He's framing the problem. And I want you to notice Jesus is now doing a, a contrast, not with scribes and Pharisees. You, you know, scribes and Pharisees do this. Now you do this. It's, he's not there now. He was there in giving. He's going to be there in fasting. But in prayer, the contrast is the Gentiles and Jesus. See, now why, why does he switch to Gentiles? I want to suggest it's this. The, 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 the main point of, of the prayer, Jesus, Jesus uses the Gentiles because it shows the greatest contrast to what the Lord's prayer is to be. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, he, he says, because they, they, they pray with, with many words and no content. And that is not the way a Christ follower praise. The, the Greek word here for empty phrases is batalageo. It's, uh, it's onomatopoetic. You know, it's that, you know, the bee buzzes. You know, it's, it's the, the word sounds like it's bata, bata, batalageo. It's, it's they're babbling. They're, 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 not, they're not saying anything with all those words. Um, I, I think when I was thinking of this, it, it hit me, the story in the Old Testament, and, and I want to go there because I, I think it illustrates this well. Do you remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? It's 1 Kings 18. M many remember it. Let me just walk you through it really, really quickly. Elijah basically throws down a challenge with the prophets of Baal or Baal, either way, B-A-A-L. And he says, look, we're both, look, let's both build altars. I'll build mine, or, or you build yours, I'll build mine. Um, let's kill the cow, the bull, put it on top of all the wood, and then let's stand back. You go first. Let's pray to our God, whose ever God consumes the altar with fire. That's who God is. And then the prophets of Baal say, absolutely, let's do it. They go first. Y'all, it says they, they began praying in the morning and, and they prayed to noon. I wanna, I wanna grab the actual wording in, in 1 Kings that says this. It says, as midday passed. So they've prayed all morning. So as midday passed, they raved, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Y'all, they, they cut themselves. They beat themselves to try and get God's attention. Now, this is not a trick question. No one paid attention to their cries. Why? Think about it. It's not, it's not, you're not wrong when you think about it. why did no one hear them? Because Baal's not God. <laughs> He's nothing. There's no, there's no God Baal. There's only one God Almighty. 
you know, but they, 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 they had to make a lot of noise to get his attention and there was no attention to be had. Elijah, by contrast, takes his altar, and you know the story, it's just crazy. It's kind of funny too, by the way. He makes fun of those guys. But he, he covers his whole altar with water. He covers the bull with water. There's a, there's a moat of water. There's so much water on this wood, y'all, you couldn't pour gas on it and light it. It's just soaked. And then Elijah steps back, and I want to quote his prayer verbatim. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. End of prayer. Fire consumes the whole thing. They prayed for hours. May I say, Elijah prayed for 26 seconds. Prayer that changes things, you all, that moves the hand of God need not be long. Now, you know, the Psalms are long. It's not like you can't pray long prayers, but it need not be long. Verse eight tells us why. Why why don't I need to just stack up a bunch of words and yell and scream to get God's attention? Verse eight, do not be like them. Why? Because for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I, I see two reasons here. The first is because you're talking to your dad. You're talking to your father. Now, our girls, uh, you know, our, we got two girls in college. They, they both left this uh, yesterday morning to head back um, to, you know, they got two cars. So they were, they were leaving early. I was in the office super early, you know, working. And I said, man, come by, come by my office so I can say goodbye because I didn't want to wake them up when I got up. And so, um, you know, I'm at my office, first car pulls up, you know, get to say goodbye. 10 minutes later, second car pulls up, you know, get go say goodbye. Well, I wanted to come by because I wanted to say goodbye. I wanted to see them before they left. And I wanted to give them something, you know, that's what dads do. They didn't have to ask me. I can't wait to give my kids things. It's in the father's heart. And as Jesus will say later, I'm an evil father. You know, he's a good God. He delights to give his kids what they need. And may I say this, what delights them. And there's a second reason we don't need to be so wordy is because God knows what we need before we ask him. How about that? Psalm 139.3, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. The message says it this way, you know when I leave and when I get back. And I love the way uh, Peterson rephrases it. I'm never out of your sight. You all, from conception to death, you never experience a micro millisecond that God is not looking at you. Not, not like right now, I'm looking at Deborah, but I also see in, in, in my periphery. Do you understand God in his being? All of God is looking at you. That's who he is and all that he is. He's never distracted. He sees you. He's intimately acquainted with your ways. Without, that doesn't dilute his attention to every other person. Wow. 
Doesn't take, I don't need a lot of words because he sees me. This means that prayer is not us getting God's attention. Prayer is God getting ours, right? We pray. In contrast to the empty phrases of the Gentiles, Jesus says, pray like this. Here we go. Here's, here's the prayer. Verse nine, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. End of prayer. Uh, you know, you know how long that prayer takes? About 26 seconds, you know, like Elijah. And I'll tell you, when we pray that prayer, fire does fall and things change. I'm going to take the prayer part and then we're going to put it back together, phrase by phrase. Verse nine, our father in heaven, all prayer begins with, with, with it's, I say it like that, it, all prayer begins with putting God in his rightful place. Our father in heaven, it is that place of highest, this is key in the whole book of Matthew, highest authority. And when we, when we begin our prayer with God in the rightful place, you know what we find? We find ourselves in our appropriate place, submitted to his authority. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to sanctify, to set apart as, as holy, a name for, for, for a Hebrew person's more than just the name. It's just not the moniker that you get to identify you. It is who you are. It is all you are. It is your character and your being. We could paraphrase this. Our Father in heaven, make yourself known. Your kingdom come, verse 10. Your kingdom come. Now, you know, when we, we, we go through the prayer, I hope you kind of hit a couple speed bumps, you know, that make you, you have to think for a moment because I go, well, I thought Jesus came on the scene and what did Jesus say? It says Jesus came proclaiming that God's kingdom had what? Had what? What is God's kingdom? What did you... It had come. So isn't it strange that Jesus says, I want you to pray to God, your kingdom come. So how do we reconcile that when Jesus says, I, I, I'm, the kingdom has come in me? I want to suggest that, that the way we understand your kingdom come is to take the second line and let it interpret and inform the first line. Why do I do that? Because that's how Hebrew poetry works. And we can, we can take that clue and pick up the second line, your kingdom come. Your, what, what does that mean? What well, it means your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in this way, I think that Jesus is, is, is saying, telling us that, that we pray that the ethics and the values of God's kingdom become more fully evident and visible and tangible right now, right now on the planet through those who follow him. I also had this thought, by the way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is 
in heaven. Now, I don't know the direct, if this is directly applicable, but I, I do think this. I want you to think about the realm of heaven. It's not like it's out there. It's, a, it's the realm of God's total rule and reign. When God tells an angel to do something, how long do you think it takes the angel to do it? You ever think about it like that? In other words, Lord, I pray your will would be done through your followers like it's done in heaven. <laughs> and I want to suggest, I don't think God's voice finishes that the angel's not about the work of the kingdom. My, that's convicting, at least for me. Well, the first part of the prayer is God's glory. Many of you, many of this has been noted before. It, it, it is, you know, uh, your name, your kingdom, your will. Yours, God. And then we pick the second part and it becomes about, um, I, I'll say it this way, our needs, doesn't it? So it's your and then it's us. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. And, and y'all, just a, just a helpful aside, this is the, an appropriate pattern of prayer all through the Bible. God, you are, I am. God, you are, I, you know, it's God first. Well, let's pick these next verses. Give us this day our daily bread. We, we note this is a, a request for, some, uh, you know, it's not just a request for a piece of bread, literally per se. It, it represents, give us today materially all we need for today, for today. You know, it's not, you know, the air we need to breathe, the food we need to eat, the water we need. What, what, give, us, give us our material need today to live. This is what it's capturing. It's a daily request because God is a daily provider. This is, uh, you know, I, 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 I had so much on this, I had to cut it all out, but I, I'll say a few things about it. This is just not how we live. This is the tension we feel. Um, we, are, we are a people who accumulate. We are a people of surplus. We, we, we are people with storage units. Um, we shop at Costco, y'all. Come on, you know, what are you gonna eat? Do you have enough for one day? I don't think so. I've got enough wipes for three years now, you know, walking out here with this. Um, the original audience, they did live generally day to day. You know, they shopped at the market for the food for that day. Unlike most of the world, and you know, I'm just talking about us. Let's talk about us. We, we live generally to get ahead. Um, I'm not throwing out financial principles of stewardship, savings, being prepared for a rainy day. Don't throw any of that. But let's not let Jesus' words fall on deaf ears nor feel the weight of them. We generally live to get ahead, i.e. we live today. And, and you know, most of us will kind of go to work tomorrow and hope to do enough work that we've actually earned enough for a lot of days. And then we try and put those days together and keep earning more and more and getting more and more so that, you know, after we work for 40 years, we got our barns full and then we can stop. You know, you know, that's kind of how we, we, we live. And this is, I don't want to say it's contradictory, but I just want to ask this question. Does that seem to be the model of a citizen of the kingdom that we read about in the gospels, the book of Acts, the letters? I, I feel that tension. We live to secure our future, generally. And God says, pray for your bread today. Don't, don't think about tomorrow, just today. And by the way, when you get to tomorrow, if you get tomorrow, I'll be there and I'll take care of you that day. Don't worry about the next day. 
And by the way, if you get a third day, just live in that day and trust me for that day. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Well, in the same, you might write down Ephesians 4.32. There are other passages that reinforce this. In the same way that God has forgiven us, we, we are to forgive those in debt to us, those who've sinned against us. To forgive is, is to, th think about these words around forgiveness. It is, it is a releasing, it is a letting go of, of the payment that should be paid because someone has harmed you, so to speak. Uh, morally, it's, it, you know, forgiveness is a choice that we make um, to not require the punishment that that person who's sinned against us morally deserves. We, 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 we step back, we choose not to exert that punishment or not to wish that punishment upon them. It is a releasing, a letting go. May I say this, um, for, forgiving is not forgetting. You always, many people always struggle with it and I can't forget and I go, yeah, I can't either. You know, uh, but it, forgiving is not forgetting but it is, a, it, is a, it is choosing to release and let go. Forgiven in our text is an aorist, not a perfect tense verb. And I say that just to say, you know, it's, it's, it's stated here in, in our text, translated as we have forgiven, past tense, completed action. No, it's an aorist, which, which a better translation would be as we, as we are forgiving our debtors. It's continual. It's ongoing <laughs> that we do this. And this is where I've got to pick up the last two verses in our text. You know, some of you have been wondering, well, what about verse 14 and 15? Well, this is where we grab them because we need to connect them here to verse 12 to understand and apply it appropriately. So here's, here's commentary on the Lord's prayer. This is not a part of the Lord's prayer, but Jesus says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I hope that when we read our Bible and, and you hit something like that, I hope you don't just skip over it because that makes me really uncomfortable. Does it not you? Do you not read that and go, ah, gee, let's keep going. You know, because it says that we're not forgiven if we don't forgive others. Now here, you know, let me... You know, we're about equipping ourselves. When you see a passage like this, that's, it's unclear. We always, principle number one, you know, the clear interprets the unclear. When this is kind of unclear, and when you read a passage that on the face value, I mean, just literally contradicts what we know the whole of scripture teaches, we'll step back and let's bring the whole clarity of scripture to these two verses that are kind of quirky, at least to us and to our ears. Are you with me? Because I feel it. I, I'm going, oh my gosh. I, there are people I haven't forgiven. I, I'm going to hell. You know, you could go there. So let's bring the clarity. Let me tell you what the clarity of scripture is. Our forgiveness before God is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. His life, death and resurrection secures our forgiveness. The wrath of God was poured out on my sin on Jesus and I am forgiven forever and nothing will change that. So I'm not gonna let these two verses trip me up too much here. 
We know that. Let the weight of that come to these verses. Here's something else we know clearly from scripture. When a person puts their trust in Jesus, they are then a new creation. They have a new heart. They have been transformed from within. They have been forgiven. And that forgiveness will will be extended to others in the same way that we have received it from God the Father. And thus the heart that has experienced the forgiveness of God through Jesus will most assuredly forgive. Just in the same way, can I say it like this? that a flame gives off heat and that water will make your finger wet. It can be no other way. And so, our forgiveness of others is not, is not a switch that flips, I forgive them, oh, I'm forgiven by God. No, 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 I'm forgiven by God and therefore I forgive. And if I don't forgive others, I'm not gonna let the weight of this fall off of you. It needs to be on me too. If I have an unforgiving heart, the question is, have I ever been forgiven? Have I genuinely trusted Christ? And that by his life, death, and resurrection, I'm forgiven. That's the question that this text encourages us to ask. Okay, from one hard one, to another hard one. Let's look at verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yikes. I'm telling you, do you, do you, I don't know. I read that and I go, there's a problem here. I'm praying to God and I'm saying, God, don't lead me into temptation. And I scratch my head and I go, gosh, I don't know. James says, God doesn't tempt anyone. God, what's going on? I'm telling you, there are so many um, uh, somersaults and acrobatic, you know, things done to this text to try and get out of the tension. And I'm telling you, I spent hours, I'm not exaggerating, you know, it's part of my responsibility, but I, I'm just going, Lord, what is this? What does this genuinely mean? Because there's so many ways people try and kind of un, un, unwind it. I can't go through all those, but I'll give you where I landed. And I, I couldn't get here without help. I'm not smart enough, know this, but others are. And here's, here's where I would say we can, kind of unravel this. Cause you know, do you see the tension? And some do it this way and lead us not into temptation. And so some say, well, look, temptation here means testing. So it's really about God not leading you into testing, which doesn't help me at all. Because I think the Bible tells me that God tests those that he loves. He tests to shape our character. So I'm not helped by all, at all by that. But I am helped by this. And here's where I said, I, I, what, what is... We got to have an understanding that is consistent with the context, okay? Integrated with the context and, and thoroughly biblical. And here's what someone helped me uh, 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 put this together. How about asking this question? Who in the gospel story was led by God into temptation? Not a trick one. Who? Who? 
Yeah, so y'all, you know, this is where we look at, okay, oh, okay, and Matthew, Matthew even says it. I mean, the same book, Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That, the, the three things in that description are the same three things we find in this phrase in Matthew six thirteen. We find God leading into temptation and we find the devil, the evil one. By the way, the evil there is, is also translated the evil one. So, so we find all three. So our prayer, it seems, I'm, I'm not gonna be dogmatic on this because there's so many interpretations, but I'm quite confident it's consistent biblically. Prayer would be that God would not lead us as he led Jesus to be tempted directly by the devil. Jesus prevailed, you and I would not. And some of you are going, I, I don't know, I think I could take him. You know, no, you can't. Uh, and I say this, all kidding aside, because our parents couldn't and they stood the best chance, Adam and Eve. And they represented us perfectly. Well, why should we pray that God, it's kind of weird, I know this gets crazy. Why would we pray that God would not do something that he knows that we would be destroyed by? Like, God, don't do this thing that I know, that you know is gonna destroy me. Well, why would we need that prayer? Perhaps, perhaps because we need to be reminded. We, not God, we need to be reminded of the foolishness of thinking we could go up against the devil on our own and win. You say, well, I would never think that. Well, I don't know. Um, the disciples, I, you know, I'm not gonna put it all on them, but you know, they certainly thought they were up to the task, did they not? Peter, look, they may desert you, no, oh my gosh, Jesus, I'm, it's Peter, not me. Oh my, he denies him three times. And by the way, even in Matthew's gospel, when Peter says, I'm not, I'm not gonna desert you. Do you know what the next sentence says? And all the disciples said the same. And within hours, they had deserted Jesus in his darkest hour of need. So I might paraphrase this difficult statement in verse 13 like this. And Father, keep me from ever thinking I can take on the devil directly. I need you to keep me from such arrogance and spiritual pride. Well, there's the pieces. When we put all the pieces back together, I want to suggest in its broadest outline, we get this. In the Lord's prayer, we are we proclaim God's authority and we accept our dependence. God's authority, our dependence. That's the heart, soul of the prayer. By the way, the familiar ending, you know, y'all know the ending? Say it with me. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the authority forever. You know that, by the way, we, we don't have it here because we, it's not in the earliest manuscripts, i.e. it's probably not original. 
And, and so the prayer ends, honestly, it begins with our Father. And how about this? It ends with evil one. <laughs> you know, if I were making copies of this 1,500 years ago, I would have added the doxology too. <laughs> so some, someone added the doxology, but it's not part of the prayer itself. Well, what's our application? Okay. It's, this is great because this is one of those passages that I, I didn't have to sit there and go, and how, hmm, what's the application to this one? <laughs> what's the application? What do we do with this prayer? Mm, how about that? Yeah, we pray it, yes. And so I'm gonna ask you to pray it. I'm gonna ask us to pray it and I'm gonna ask us to do it like this and stick with me, I wanna explain this. Um, I, and I say this, may I say this? We pray it because our king commands us. That's why we pray it. Now, I'm gonna invite us to do it a certain way. And I hope uh, it, it's a way we start praying it. And I hope it, it becomes a, a lifelong habit for us. Here's what I want you to do. First thing I want you to do, this sounds weird, stay with me. I want everybody to take out their phone. Everybody's got their phone out. And, um, oh, I got a couple texts. Let me read them first. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and I want you to go to your clock app I did this this morning, by the way, because I thought, well, I need to know, can I do this? I got an iPhone up here. And yes, you can. So I went to my, my uh, clock app. I went to alarm and I have set on my phone to repeat starting today and going through next Sunday, an alarm is gonna go off on my phone at 3 p.m. for the next seven days. At 3 p.m. So I'm gonna invite you to, to, to set your alarm. You, you know, remember to quiet it if you're in a meeting. Um, but... I'd like all of us to have our alarm set to go off at 3 p.m. for the next, repeat it for the th next seven days, beginning this afternoon at 3 p.m. You know what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna invite all of us to pray the Lord's Prayer. It'll take you 26 seconds, maybe longer if you pause and pray it reflectively. 26 seconds out of your day. It will shape your heart for the moment you're in and the moment you're walking in and a lifetime. Now, um, why three? I pick three. We don't know exactly because they didn't have clocks you know, in Jesus' day. They didn't have exact times and seconds per se. But, but our best estimate is that Jesus hung on the cross at 3 p.m. So that's why I'm using it, okay? I, I'm using it as that. It's like three o'clock. That's when Jesus went to the cross and it just reminds us that when we pray this prayer, we're praying because our king commands us, the king who hung on the cross for us. Now, there are some in the room because I would be like this if I were singing like you. You're going, this is so tacky, this is so goofy, what a gimmick. And I, and I get that. I'm kind of that way. I'm kind of like, quit, you know, don't do it like that. So if you feel like that, can I say this to you? Don't do it. <laughs> I'm, and I'm okay with that. Don't do this. But if, if you're okay doing this, let me tell you why. I am doing it like this. I do have some reasons if I, if I can offer these. Here's the first. Do you know that um, the Jews for thousands of years had set times of prayer? Now it got out of hand, it got legalistic, it, it, it got off the rails, but they did. We see it when we read our New Testament, morning, noon, and evening prayers. Y'all, is there, I, I don't know, might it be good for us for seven days to, to, to have a time that we pray? Are you with me? So just, just let's just, there, there's something there. By the way, when you read the New Testament in the book of Acts, you know the church didn't give up those prayer times. 
They didn't just say, well, they were doing that for a thousand years. That's legalistic. No, no, no. You'll note they, they, they still prayed morning, noon, and evening. So let's join them. Here's the second reason. Do you notice in the Lord's Prayer, there is no me, my, or I. I didn't always see that, that there's no personal pronouns. None. Because you'd think, kind of, I think if it said, Jesus, you know, Jesus says, here's how I want you to pray. You know, give me my bread today and forgive me my, there's no me, my, or eyes. Isn't it interesting? Give us. And even when we pray, forgive us, it's like, it's like we're not even going forgive me, it's forgive us. Why, why, why the plural? And, and it, it, because the body is one? Because when I'm praying forgive us our debts, I'm, I am praying mine, but I'm praying he'd forgive yours, you know, that, that you would be, know the forgiveness of God. See, it's, it's so mutual and connected, it's body. And so I, I wanna encourage us, three o'clock next seven days, we're praying and, and when we do, it's, it's just, it's reminding us online, those of you online, I hope you get your, your phone out and do this. It's reminding us, it's, it's our prayer. It's our prayer together. So, got your, got your phones done. You know, no, no alarms. At last service, two alarms went off. You know, people put in, I don't know what they put in, but their alarms were going off, you know, so hopefully not here. We are gonna, we're gonna end doing a couple things. I'm gonna invite you to stand. If you're online, please stay. Don't, 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 don't check out yet. We've got some things to do. And the first is to come to the Lord's table. How appropriately, how appropriate that we would come to the table. So let's take our bread and our cup. You get these when you come in. And if you would take the bread, go ahead and get your cup ready to be, to be opened. And, and how, how good to come to the table each week. And let's think about it in the context of this text. Y'all can go get some. Could somebody go out back and go get them. You know, if you don't have some, go, back, go out back. I want to be talking for a minute. You, there's no, no shame in that. Um, I, want, I want you to think about the Lord's table in the context of our text today. You understand that Jesus is inviting us to stand before the God of the universe. Who gets an audience with God? Can I tell you? Nobody. Unless they're holy. You see where this is going? That, that, that our, very, our very opportunity to pray is secured by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, his body broken for us. And as Paul will write, when we come before the throne of grace, y'all, do you know the word he uses? Come boldly. I'm gonna tell you, if you're coming boldly in your own righteousness, don't go, because you won't live. But if you're coming under the blood of Christ, we come boldly before that throne of grace. Lord Jesus, there is no kingdom apart from your coming in humility to suffer and die 
In your body, you bore the wrath of holy justice that our sin earned. It was a debt we could never pay that you gladly bore to release us from the weight and cost and consequence of our debt incurred. We remember your coming in this bread broken, just like your body take and eat. holding the cup through the shedding of your blood, that is through your death, we are released from dying the second death, being separated from the Father. You suffered that for us in our place. And we remember your blood on that cross, Jesus. We remember the crown of thorns on your head, the scars upon your body, the wound in your side, all of it all of it for us, we give thanks, take and drink. Jesus, our participation in this table not only takes us back historically to the cross, but every time we take it, we look forward and we proclaim that you're coming again. Your kingdom in its fullness is coming. Come soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Again, online, stay with us. We'll respond in a song and we'll respond by praying the prayer as we conclude. How appropriate that we go before the throne of grace, before, as we'll sing, the throne of God above. Let our song be a reflection of our hearts. We have a great king who has secured our future and holds us in our present. And nothing, no nothing will thwart or stop him. May we sing of his great love, the great cost he paid and our deep and abiding security in the love of Jesus.